everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn. Hi, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I talk to film creatives about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am joined by a special guest, producer Rebecca Prusen, who produced the short film, Evolute, which has been nominated for the 2023 um, live action short film category. And I'm very happy to be talking to you because I saw this film and it made me choked up. I got all emotional. I was in my feels watching this film. And it te- I think it deals with very serious top, um, topic issues. And, um, and I can't wait to get into that. But as usual, before I begin um, talking about the films, I usually like to let my guests say a bit about themselves and what got them into filmmaking or involved with the film industry. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. And My congratulations pleasure. on the film and being nominated and to you and the whole crew and cast. Um, so can you talk mm-hmm. a bit about yourself first? And what got you, what made you decide, decide to become a producer? Well, actually, this is a, it's, this is actually my first film. Hmm. So, um, yes, uh, I've been working in, uh, and I'm with media my whole life. I'm originally, uh, I have my master's in information technology. So it's gone, you know, from something completely different to here. But for the last many years, I've worked at the Danish Broadcasting Corporation, which is the equivalent of the BBC in Denmark. Hmm. Um, and my, for the last many years, I was working as a commissioning editor on children's programming. Um, and I say, I mean, I think working with this film hasn't been much different. I mean, it's a different media because it's film, but my, the kind of work producing the film has been very much like um, the work that I've done at the at DR. So, um, and the topic working with children is also my favorite. So, um, yes. It's not that different and that far from what I've what I've done before, but it is my first film. Right. It's and for I think for a first film, like you picked a very a very particular topic to produce. And as you said, like you you love working with children, you love working with um prop um content that has to do with children. Is that what drew you to um Evalu to make you decide this is the film I want to produce because it deals with um two girls in particular, two sisters, and it talks about um abuse and I think it also talks about cultural identity too because it's set in Greenland and it and it talks about the cultural identity of these two um Greenland Inuit girls these two sisters and is that what drew you to the project definitely um the the film is based on a graphic novel and so uh it was actually Anders Anders Walter who is the director of the film who's also a very close friend uh, someone who I've worked with before and my husband has worked with him before he was given the graphic novel by a friend who lives in Greenland and she read it and gave it to him because she thought it was right up his alley because he has also a history. I mean, all his, his, uh, his films has always dealt with uh, children in need of some sort. So um, when she read the novel, she gave it to him and he immediately loved it and he gave it to me. And, um, so the graphic novel is amazing. I wish I had it here so I could show you. It's a beautiful, beautiful graphic novel with the most astonishing colors. And uh, I mean, the drawings of the Greenlandic vast nature is just astonishing. But then at the same time, it has the most brutal storyline. So this contrast between the poetic pictures and the, you know, the almost childish colors and then the contrast of the brutality of the story just, I remember sitting right here in my sofa here reading it. It's very brief and it, it blew me away. It made me cry. And I knew from that on that I really 
I had to just, you know, do whatever I could to help Anders Walter uh, make this film. So, yeah, so we could share it. But we did, see, the, the novel is very uh, depressing. The film is pretty hard too, but the, the, the graphic novel is even more hard as it, it has a very different ending than mm. uh, that we put into our film. So we we took the graphic novel and we used as much as we could, but we did change uh, parts of it. And the most significant thing we changed was the ending. Um, so you've seen the film and you uh, in the film, there's a, there is a grandmother who is a witness to the girl's disappearance and um, who, I don't know if I should say what it, it ends with, but, but, but it's, it has a, a positive ending and it was a very important thing for me that it, it ends with a, a sense of hope. Mm. No, I, 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 for my interview, generally going into spoilers because I go very um, in, the, in depth with my questions and the ending you were talking about in the graphic novel, which I haven't read, but I, I, I think I know what it was because there was a moment close to the end of the film. I was like, no, I was like, I had this moment of trepidation because she talks about how she's going to, she's going to do, she's going to follow her sister and watch what, and when you find out what her sister does, you, you're thinking in your head, this little girl thinks she has no other option because she, 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 she feels alone and she, fe she feels very, um, very isolated from her family because it's just her and the, and the dad and the grandmom, but the dad doesn't care at all. Mm -hmm. And when the film starts out, the film starts out, um, and I think it's interesting that this film is in her, um, her internal dialogue like she's telling the story to herself and she's telling the story to someone who's listening and you realize when it, at the beginning is it starts with her getting with uh, people look getting getting up and looking for her sister and you immediately wonder why is no one worried about this little girl like no one is looking for her the dad doesn't care the grandmother she's just like this almost like this background observer and no one like none no one in the school no teachers there's no police investigation and I was wondering the entire time how long has she been missing so mm -hmm. I, I've been wondering if she's been missing for a while but then the way the film starts it made me think that this is the, the day the day she wakes up is when she realizes her sister is not coming back so she's actively looking for her this time you know she realized I'm the I'm the only person who has to look for her because no one else is doing it mm -hmm. and it's a very hard topic because it deals with sexual abuse. And I think it also deals in a way with, um, emo it deals with emotional abuse because Eva Lou is, was the one who was sexually abused by the father. And people look is, um, I think she's being emotionally abused in the fact that she has no emotional connections to her father. He doesn't look after her. She has no, her mother is not there. The grandmother doesn't live with them. So she's all alone. And she's dealing with a traumatic experience and no one is there, is there helping her process this. So when you were going through, when you were working with Anne, um, with Anders on putting this film together, what kind of discussions did you have about how the story would be told and the way you wanted to tell it? Well, I mean, I think the most important part that we were, we, I mean, we've been pretty much in agreement the whole time. We really haven't had any conflicts about uh, how to do this. But the one thing that I think was the most important for me, and, and I'm glad that he agreed, that we had to change the ending of, uh, of, the, of the book because it, uh, the book is just brutal. I mean, it just, it, it ends with the, the, the little sister, Pipaluk, finds the sister, Ivalu, hanging um, 
you know, she's she's committed suicide. She's just hanging, you know, and it's life can be brutal. I mean, it's not that this does, and it's not like we wanted to give it to some happy Disney ending, but we still felt a big obligation when it, we're dealing with such a, an emotional and sensitive topic and it's such a big taboo. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we, I mean, without making it into this um, too innocent, I mean, we just wanted to give it some sort of hope. You know, it's still a very uh, sad and uh, emotional film, but at least there is some sort of hope. Uh, the way she travels through time, she keeps on seeing all these different back, uh, you know, scenes of what had, you know, the what what the, what it could have been and what has been, and but it's now empty. So all these scenes of where they used to play together and do, you know, wonderful things together, and now they're just empty. So all these flashbacks to the emptiness you know, at least at when at the end and she, she goes through this trip, which is also an, an internal, you know, voyage for her to realize what has happened to her sister. At least she ends up in, in an embrace of someone who takes care of her. She doesn't live there anymore. And you some, I mean, somehow you can trust that there is some sort of future for her that's better than what happened to her sister. And I think when you deal with this, if there's someone in the audience who've had the same kind of experience or, you know, has dealt with this kind of trauma, to feel seen, you know, to know that you're a part of a community, that there is someone out there, if it's a school teacher or a grandparent or a doctor, whoever, that there is someone out there that you're not alone and um, that the future can be different, you know. Mm -hmm. And did you and Anders have any um, kind of conversations with the original author of the of the graphic novel? Like when you because you're adapting it, not only yes. adapting, but you're also changing the story a bit because you, as you said, you wanted to make the ending more hopeful, which I totally understand and I agree with because the ending of that film would have been way too depressing considering the top the um, subject topic. And it's not that you're trying to sugarcoat it or you're trying to. Um, mm -hmm you're trying to dismiss what um, the, the author was writing in the original novel. But I think um, the, I agree that sometimes for these kind of stories, you do have to show the audience or for anyone who may be potentially um, triggered by it or who are, or who knows someone who's going through the situation to show that, to show them that there is a, 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 you can have a happy ending or at least an ending where the, the, the possibility of happiness is um is present right so i agree with like changing the story but what was the um the original author's thoughts on the adaptation and the change they were very i mean i didn't have much dialogue with them Anders did a little bit in the beginning they knew that i mean they accepted and they agreed on on us uh you know adapting the film so it, uh, the book into a film and um but the process itself of developing the manuscript, they weren't a part of it. And they didn't know until after we had done it. And I'm very happy to say that they both really agree with, you know, the trend, the, the transformation of the, of their story. So only good, um, only good feedback. And they're now they're extremely happy with, you know, with the, the way that the film has come alive and how it's been perceived all over the world. And so, so only good, only good, um, you know, they're only happy about the way we, we changed it. Okay. Cause I think it's um now that the film has been nominated for an Oscar, it does help not only spread the word about the film and the work that you and um Anders and the crew and the cast have done, but also about the original graphic novel. Because exactly. I I to be honest, like I don't think I 
I've ever read any kind of story that was written by um, a Greenland Inuit or watched a film by a Green um, by or featuring Greenland Inuit. So I think this is a way to help get the um, identity of the in, of the indigenous people out. Because to be honest, like when we think of Inuit, we think of like North American Inuit. You know, like the uh, Inuit who live in um, um, Alaska and and like the Northern mm-hmm. Territories of Canada, like where I live. But we don't really think of um, the indigenous people of areas like Greenland and Iceland, you know. And I think this film does highlight their culture because it talks about like, the confirmation ceremony that people look and her sister had to do. And it shows their traditional dress and like how they live there and how like fishing is a part of their culture as it is with um, every Inuit culture. Like they're very in touch with their with their environment and nature and also it talks about their traditional uh, practices like t- storytelling and their mythology. So talk a bit about, um, as a producer, your part in making, in putting the cast together and in helping support Anders to bring this particular story to life because it is a story about Inuit culture and it's, you have to make sure that you respect the culture and that you're respecting the cast and the crew. And especially because, uh, so so you uh, you probably don't know that, but Greenland is a part of the kingdom of Denmark, mm. but it's oh, also I- a sovereign. So it's a sovereign country. They have their own government, but it's also part of our kingdom. So you know, so there is also some you know, it's also a little bit sensitive about you know the colonization and all that. But um, what we did was, I mean, for us it was extremely important that we didn't go to Greenland and. And you know, a big Danish team going in, doing the thing, and then going. So, so it's actually it was only Anders and I and the, and the cinematographer who went up there, and and my husband Kim, who's also a producer on, on the film. Uh, we work very closely with um, a Greenlandic uh, production company, Porama, and uh, they're co-producing uh, the film. And uh, Pippa Lok Jansen, who is the co-director of the film, together with Anders. I mean, we could not have done this film without them and it was also a very I mean we all knew from the beginning we would not do this film if we didn't do it together with with them because I mean we were totally dependent on I mean just the fact that it's in Greenlandic we don't speak Greenlandic even though Anderson and I did do a little bit of a a course before it's it's very different uh, language and we don't understand it Mm. so we would have scenes where you know, in our eyes, it would, you know, it was a very good scene. And then she would be like, no, 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 no. I mean, the way she talked, pronounced was so wrong. So, I mean, we, we could never have done this without them. Um, in anything, I mean, in the, we did the, I mean, the whole, just getting the the casting in the beginning, we were, because of COVID, we, we couldn't go there. So we had to do casting via Zoom. Mm. And so uh, they found, I mean, there's not that many people in Greenland is 58,000 people. So it's, a, it's not a very big community. And, and obviously with the number of people uh, we could, so she found, I think like 10, 15 girls in the different age groups that we could, um, that she suggested for the casting. And we, so we did the whole thing over Zoom. And um, when we met uh, Mila who plays Pipeluk, we were all, you know, we all agreed that she was the perfect person to um, portray uh, people look but still I don't I don't think we we had no idea when we did the that she would be this fantastic that I think she is mm-hmm. and the same for her older her, who plays her older sister Nivi who plays uh, Ivalu I think both girls are amazing 
I think they are so brave and courageous. You know, they come from a very small society. And to stand up and be part of a film that touches on this, you know, big taboo and to put their face on, you know, in this film, I think it, I think there are the stars. I mean, they, they deserve all the credit in the world for, for standing up and to doing this film. And, and then they're just, I think they're so good. I think they're amazingly good, both of them. They are very good. I, that the whole film is about basically the two of them, you know, it's, it's a very contained film. It's mainly these two sisters who like you have to get a sense of their um, connection and their dynamic as sisters through, through vignettes, you know, it's like, we're not getting like full run on scenes. We're getting scenes of them, like fishing scenes of them, like in the boat and telling this story and like them at home or just like, um, um, pe- um, people look watching her sister do her confirmation cer- um, ceremony and you have to mm-hmm. on, you, you're getting already getting a sense that they love each other deeply but also that people look, really looks up to Eva Lua and that she is like her she's like the person that she aspires to be and she's she she listens to the most and I think one of the scenes that really touched on how like even living in the same house, like um, pe- because people look is so young, she doesn't understand how her sis- she doesn't fully understand emotionally or mentally what her sister is going through. Like she knows because she hears, like she talks about hearing the noises outside the bedroom door. But like there's this scene where her sister they're fishing and they they catch this rockfish, and it seems like oh it's gonna be a happy moment because they've been fishing forever and they and they finally caught one. But then Ivalu just like she takes the oar and she just starts to mash it. And that scene, that's the scene where I really started to realize, wait, something is something is up. Because before then, I the monologue really, it just makes you think, okay, she's 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 missing. And you're wondering why is she missing? And um it actually in the entire time I was thinking of this film is like how um in North America we have there's campaigns for missing and indigenous women because like indigenous women are when and young girls when they go missing like the the police the media don't re, don't really do anything to find them here right you know they don't really offer any kind of support and it may be kind of thing even in greenland where this film is set like even their indigenous the searching for in, missing um indigenous girls are not a priority but then when you realize oh, okay so something else at home is going on and it's such this and it's such a violent moment but I think the way that Anders filmed it, where it's like it's focusing on the fish, but then it focuses on people look's face. These two girls, I think they are they did a fantastic job using their um just expressing a lot through their eyes. And they're and for novice actress um actresses, I think they did a really um a really good job, especially with the intense storytelling. So um tell talk, talk to me about a bit about that particular scene because I think that scene um is the only it's one of only two scenes in the film where there's any kind of like um violence in as you would say because i think for most of the film is um is people look, looking for a system we're going to get into that because i love the cinematography in this film but talk to me about that particular scene and how you just as not only just as producer but just as an observer and a viewer watching the film felt about that particular scene because i think it just says so much about the film yeah well i think it was a hard scene uh, especially because nidi who plays uh Ivalu, is she's not a very um outspoken she's not a i mean like the mila who plays people look is much more expressive and nidia is a more close person and actually i mean she is this character and when this scene it was hard for her to actually 
you know, just show the rage and, and to actually, you know, she's smashing the fish and she's being, you know, violently aggressive. And it's so not her nature. It's not Nevi's nature and it's not Evelu's nature. Okay. So both the part and the person, but I think that's, I mean, I think that's a whole, I mean, the whole, that's also like, and it's the same with Mila. I mean, I think that's where she realizes something is wrong. You know, so that's, as you say, there's so little, I mean, there's, they're talking and it's, but it's always underneath the surface. And this is the first time it actually, it explodes and it comes out. And it was a, it was a dramatic scene also because we were on the ocean. I mean, the water is, it's used, you told me just before we started how cold it is where you are now. It was freezing. I mean, doing shooting in Greenland was really, really cold. So I was, you know, just even nervous if they would fall into the water. And, you know, we they gave, we put life vests on them, even though it didn't look that good on film, because I was worried they would fall into the water when they were going. They were both fine and nothing happened. But, I, yeah, it was, but I was, both that scene and then also the scene where, where you talked about before, where she's sitting outside the bedroom. Mm-hmm. That was also, you know, a very emotional scene. And the first time she she realizes that, you know, something is, is going on and we didn't really want to show anything. Uh, that was a, a choice we made early on that we didn't really think it wasn't, it's not appropriate. It's not, that's not what we wanted. We wanted to show the, the you know, the, you know, how the actions that did take place, how they affected this little girl. It wasn't so much the scene itself. It was, you know, her reaction and how she, you know, how she's put into this. Um, I think that was the more interesting. And I, to me, that makes it much more scary and uh, emotional than actually seeing the act itself. Mm. Were there any discussions yeah. with Mila about this? Like what the, like, because nothing is shown to the audience, you know? So then she, as the, as the actress and the person as there doesn't see anything, like she doesn't have to be upset to see like a violent reenactment or anything. But like, what was the discussions with her telling her what the story is, especially the particulars of what the, the character of Evil would have been experiencing, because like, you have to be like, in that moment, like you have to see the fear and the worry and the frustration because like she's terrified and she's crying. And like, there's so much that has to happen in this scene. But like, so, so what was the conversations with her? Like, do you know? Well, I mean, with both girls in the casting, we, we knew that we would, dealing with a very sensitive subject matter. Um, so for us, it was very important that the, all the girls that were cast, that we knew that they had some, had good family backgrounds, that they had someone who, you know, could embrace them and who could talk to them in a serious way of the subject matter, because it shouldn't just be, you know, too new a producer or a director or a co-director, whoever who would explain this to them. They needed to have a, you know, a, a, a strong family to, be able to talk about this at home. I mean, I, even for me, um, my, I have two children, 10 and 12, especially for my girl who's, who's 12, you know, I felt a big obligation when I, you know, telling her what this film is about. It's, you know, how you, you don't want to, you don't want your children to know that something as atrocious as that happens in the world. But, you know, that's, that's part of, of unfortunately of, of what happens in the world. So, so both girls, I mean, she, Mila knew, understood what was going on. Both girls knew what was going on. Um, and I know that they had, you know, for both mothers, it was a big thing, you know, going through the script with them. 
it wasn't just us, but it was also the the parents who uh, who had uh, good conversations with them about it. Mm, right, and for me, I mean, I think because as I said, the film is very content and it focuses mainly on them. Like they're on locations that, to, and to me, <laughs> they seem like very like like a lot of the locations are very isolated. And I thought it was actually kind of a smart way to show not only the landscape of Greenland, but also in a way the mental um, where these girls are mentally and emotionally, like they're feeling mentally and emotionally isolated, but they're also physically isolated because they're it's just the two of them in almost all of their scenes, you know, like they're on fishing, they're by themselves, you know, they go to these um, to these outcroppings, these cliffs, and it's just them by themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there's, um, and I think it shows that it's, again, it's talking about the beauty of Greenland, but then how even those simple landscapes, like anything that's that beautiful can seem terrifying depending on the context, you know? And um, I think the cinematography in this film is, is stunning and it's fantastic. And, but it also, there's a particular scene and there's a shot where, um, where, where people look, she talks about this um, US military base and it just made me think, oh my gosh, of course, even there, in the middle of nowhere in Greenland, there's a U.S. military base, and they talk about how and she and I thought it was so, and I just thought it was amazing that people look says her sister Evelyn tells her like nothing can grow there and like she wouldn't be she wouldn't stay there because like the land is, like is toxic, you know. Mm-hmm. She's like they poison the land, and it was like just like that one moment, like if you understand like the the history of like colonization and, Amer- and American imperialism, but also the environmental ramifications of American imperialism, because where there's been studies done where almost in every U.S. base around the world, there's like, um, there's like pollution, like toxic pollution of the water and of the land and even of the airspace. And you have that one scene, but it says, I think a lot of also about the politics of, of Greenland and as you would say, Denmark, because as you say, like it's sovereign, but it's still a part of Denmark. So talk about adding that part in, because I thought it was completely unexpected, but I thought it also showed, it spoke to, speaks up what the um, Greenland, Inuit think about the American presence in Greenland, but also that these two young girls are also very aware, aware of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, actually in the, the, in the graphic novel, it, it's um, the nature is put. I mean, it's like they go. She runs through all over Greenland. Mm. So we had we had. I mean, we did get funding, but we did not have enough money at all to. I mean, had we had more funding, we would have had the trip or the voyage would have been much broader around Greenland. We actually only shot in three places, where the first was uh, in uh, in Nuuk, uh, the capital, and. A small, um, I mean, it was yeah, pretty much all around there, and then in a uh, Kankaluswak, which is um, in the by at the Inland Ice at Russell mm-hmm. Glacier, which is also where the American, um, uh, yeah, where they were. Uh, that American base was also uh, the Void American base was also located, but I think the way that we use nature here, would you, you probably uh, notice that also. I mean, the more she realizes what has happened the more vast the more grand and the more cold nature gets yeah so that's exactly as you pointed out i mean what we wanted to show is the loneliness i mean because in the beginning she is at school and she's you know in the town close to her grandmother and there are people around her but the more she goes into this inner voyage the more she realizes what she's what has happened and what she's gone through 
nature becomes she becomes smaller and smaller in this vast nature um and the same with the american military base i mean i think it's it's so beautiful i mean it's so it's just a few shots but it's so beautiful and the meaning as you say is um you can put whatever into it but it it has a very uh, you know big symbolic meaning the same goes but what you probably don't know is at the end where they stand waving mm. there is a boat or ship out in the ocean it's which is the queen uh, ship right it's like the queen mary it would have been the queen no it, it would have been the queen elizabeth yeah i remember no, that's a danish queen queen Margaret. oh that's the yeah. oh we have, okay. we have our own queen you know i always forget that and i'm not we, gonna lie and I would just say we have an awesome queen. She's super cool. And, you know, I'm not a big royalist, but I think we have actually, we have a really, we have a very cool queen. So there's not, I don't really mean to criticize her person, but there is a big symbolic meaning of having, you know, her boat out and, uh, and you know, coming in and everyone waving at her and all being all dressed up and welcoming her and smiling. And she just feels this, she's not happy she doesn't take part of the happiness around her so um people can also you know put a symbolic meaning into to that ship coming at that very point in the film no it's, no okay yeah so that's the thing so i i'm from the caribbean i'm from barbados and we didn't yeah, did we have to yes when it was in primary school like when uh when we had queen the queen or anyone from the royal family visiting like yeah we had to get dressed up you know if you go if you're in school at that time you have to put on your your uniform got to be pressed and pristine here done and you're and they make us like line up on the side of the road to like wave and this would have been like years ago like when i was way younger but like you would have to stand up on the side of the road and watch these these they, these people in their rolls royce drive past you know and in my mom's um year um back in her day because my mom was born in 19 like 50 uh 53 but for her and for my dad and all of them, it was the same thing. You have to put on this um, pomp and it's the whole pomp and circumstance of recognizing the royalty. You know, you got to and and um, dress up and play the part of the pageantry. So when the kids were when they were talking about that, my mind did automatically go to yeah, the British actually. royalty. And I, yes, I did forget that they, <laughs> yeah. that there is a Danish um, royal family. But yeah, but actually, when, when we were filming, when we were filming in Greenland, it wasn't planned, but was actually at the same time as the queen was visiting. And I think it's a, I think there's a, it's not just one of the uh, one way or the, I mean, it, I think people are, has conflict feelings because I think there's a history with Denmark and Danish imperialism that is not loved and cherished. But at the same time, I think we also have, because the people itself and the institution are very cool. I mean, the crown prince, he, uh, he, I mean, he, they love Greenland and they have a very close bond and he's been, uh, you know, he's been living there. And um, so I think there is uh, affections that are against, you know, and she represents that what people don't like, but at the same time, they're just really, really, they're nice people. Mm. And uh, when, she, when we were filming there, I saw the queen, I mean, she did not drive around the big Rolls Royce. She's, I don't know, she's 80 something and she's, you know, it was freezing cold. And she said, I'm walking, you know, so she she's walking in the cold and she's waving and embracing people who are waving at her. So I think that it's a it's a conflict within people. I think in one way they cherish and they like and they actually do want to wave. But at the same time, they don't want to be put in a situation that they have to wave to, you know, the symbol of imperialism. So it's a I think it's a conflict. 
It just was, um, yeah, I, I completely did forget about the Danish <laughs> royal family. Um, but the thing is, um, like, and it kind of likes, and I think, as you said, like, I think it's also really great that Anders, that you and Anders and the crew took that opportunity and you were like, you know what, she's here, let's tie it in because it does tie into the whole um, the scene with the military base and it's, a, and it's also a way of tying in how even um, while people look is going through this very traumatic experience, she still has to, in a sense, put on or put on a performance for people. Like she's um, feeling very, she's 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 trying to process this thing that happened to her sister, not only with the father, but what her sister eventually did. Mm-hmm. And in all of her, and she has all of this going on, but she's still like no one is paying attention to the fact that this little girl is falling apart on the inside, you know. But she's still expected to put on the pretty dress, you know, make sure she goes to school and looks good and smile and wait for this person who doesn't know her she doesn't know and like no one is interested in the fact that this little girl is just like being tormented so I think the I think that's actually a really good way of showing how far a lot of people not only young children who are suffering abuse and trauma but for grown adults for a lot of adults who are like if they were going through a depressive episode you know like we, we call it masking if you're going something you're going through um, a depressive episode if you're a functioning depressive that you still have to perform you know you still have to get up go to school go to work go look after your kids but on the inside you're just like yeah like your, your brain is just going I'm here while you're on the inside so that I actually related a lot to that to that aspect of the film and to that scene and I related a lot to people looking that moment um but in talking about the masking and and putting on a performance the only the 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 time where we see her really start to show how much she's struggling is as you like as we mentioned like the landscaping and not only does she become smaller and smaller in um in perspective to the landscape and like the size but it becomes colder because like she moves away from the i thought it was interesting how the film moves away from the community and she goes further and further away as she becomes isolated till she eventually ends up on this glacier and I was terrified I was like if something happens to this child out here no one is going to know no one is going to be able to find her yeah I heard that people thinking you know now she's gonna you know go through the ice or you know something like a natural catastrophe will happen but and actually that was something we were worried about because for me I mean we're not used to this kind of nature in Denmark so we were very dependent. We had a, a glacier guide, um, a, a, a fantastic uh, uh, Adam Lipek, who was who took us out to the to Russell Glacier. And I mean, I was so it you know it was beautiful, and the snow had fallen. But we, I was worried, you know, what is can we walk on this? In, and he was just like he said, Rebecca, the ice is whispering to me, you know, you're safe, you know. But, and it was yeah. The nature is astonishing and it's fantastic, but um, but I heard from other people that there was, you know, a fear that something dramatically would help work, you know, would happen to her. But yeah, yeah, I was terrified. I was like, if she falls into a crevasse, like mm-hmm. not not only just the actress, but just like the character, because I was thinking in my head, if this was a story and if this was and this is the character, I'm like, if she fell into a crevasse, no one would know that she's missing, yeah. you know? And I was thinking, would anyone go looking for her? Because no one seemed to care about her sister missing. Would anyone go looking for her? And and then there's the there's this shot, I think this shot is, is stunning, where like she's on the glacier and she's running, but it's just her footprints. Yes. It's just her, she's just little dot, and all you see is her footprints. And I think it's just like, just a stunning piece of um, 
cinematography in that scene but it just again it just highlights that she's all alone like no one else has been where she is like no one else is um looking and she's cold and and the landscape is just blistering white and blue like it's nature is beautiful but it's also extremely dangerous and in this moment like she has this crow that's talking to her and telling her if you follow me you will um you'll find your sister and so this is another instance where i believe it's talking about inuit uh, mythology um and culture where it's like she's looking for she follows this crow and it kind of made me think there's another story that i remember from years ago where it's kind of the same thing where this this crow was like leading this little girl and it kind of reminds me of, of, of the story of a nancy and nancy despite which is a um, west african and caribbean um folklore where a nancy would lead children and like talk to children if the children aren't being um listened to you know but then also nancy was a trickster and nancy would play tricks on the kids and i was wondering if, this, if that was the same thing was happening with the crow i'm like is this crow really leading her to her sister but then that's where we see that it does lead her to her sister and this revelation of it is devastating you know that's yeah. when you realize because it leads her to the bow and then it touches back on the story on the um the mm -hmm. spirit in the water and um i i don't know i think for me that's when i really did get choked up because i realized this story is really about something um that doesn't get touched on often you know, and, and it's, and it's something, um, doesn't get, it's, it's being told from the perspective of an, of another victim. Cause like in the story, people look as a victim too, you know, and like usually in Western media in particular, if you get a story about sexual um, abuse or sexual assault and, um, abuse in that way, it's kind of like a police procedural, you know, something like CSI or, mm -hmm. um, or one of those, um, cop shows where it like the victim isn't really the point of the story it's about the cops or the fbi agents or csi agents looking for these ones but in this story it's about the victims you know it's about highlight it's telling the story from their perspective so um I, and so for you i i have to ask this question like as a woman like when you're when you're working on a project like this like was there any moment where you had to like that you said you worry about your kids and you have to talk to your kids like but for you personally was there any moment where you when during production or even after production like after you saw the film where you realized that this film had the potential to hopefully start a discussion on um se se sexual abuse and like advocacy for children and paying more attention i think that's the whole purpose for me that was i mean that's the the purpose of making this film because it is such a big taboo you know and i think the best way of breaking a taboo is starting a conversation like you and i right now so i think that was that's such an important part and also i think um oh i have I need to put on battery um <laughs> sorry um okay I, th I think you know also uh both breaking the taboo by make, starting a conversation by, um, you know, also having for, for girls or boys who's been in this situation to have to be seen, you know, that there's actually a film talking about what, you know, this, this, um, this, this thing that, that they've been, uh, you know, subject to. And I, and I think there's not much literature, not much art that touches upon this because it's just, it's so painful. It's something we don't want to be reminded of. We don't want to hear about it. Um, we've, um, this film will also be, uh, we've, we've made a collaboration with, um, a Danish publisher who will uh, make, uh, school books, you know, taking important departure of the film that will be, 
used in high schools in both Denmark and Greenland, you know, to also broaden, uh, you know, the conversation into, I mean, these have like from 15 and up, I think 14 and 15 and up. So for, for there's still children, you know, young people. And I think even though we don't want to talk about it, I think we do need to talk about it. And I think it's important to, you know, unfortunately what happens with, with, you know, children who are in this situation, you know, with the most, you know, where you need to feel the safest is where they're, you know, ex exposed to the most horrible thing that can happen. And often these children will, you know, they feel guilty and they feel sorry for their parents and, you know, all these emotions, but often they feel guilt. And if there's one thing they shouldn't feel, it's guilt. And I think by, by you know, making it okay to talk about is a way of breaking this, you know, feeling of guilt and a feeling of taboo. Mm -hmm. And and I have we haven't mentioned the word yet, but I have to mention the word because I was just thinking that we, we are I we're talking. To, I'm taking you with me because I need to take my power. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Go plug your laptop in. <laughs> okay, but just continue. I'm listening. No, um, I was thinking like, we've talked about we were talking we were talking about um how the film is about sexual as um, abuse of of girls and also boys because boys are also victims of sexual abuse and how they the film is highlighting this and how it, um and the trauma that children who are abused go through but i think also um it talks about suicide you know like that's because that's what Ivalu does and that's also another taboo subject you know how um and even even when you're talking about adults who do who are like severely depressed and who are for different circumstances commit suicide even for society we still don't like talking about you know about a, a suicide but the film talks about a child committing suicide and i think that's also a very heavy topic and it's also a very um it's something that people don't like to acknowledge because like in a way um it was just i was just thinking in a way people would say oh a, a suicide isn't something that a child would ever think to do but i'm like i would say that's not true because children do commit suicide and like the film talks about how for this child that like, Ivalu she sees no way out. You know, she thinks that there's no there's no way for her to recover um mentally and emotionally and physically. And that's that's the only way she saw out. And like I in the film, I thought that that was actually what people look was gonna do too. And uh, when she talked about um following her sister, I thought she was gonna do the same thing. And that terrified me when I was watching this film. I felt like I was just like, I am not prepared for this. But so talk also about that aspect of it because that's um because for so many children, some for so many children still don't understand the concept of death, you know. But but in a situation like this, or even in like in severe cases of bullying, children that are severely bullied do commit suicide. So like I think and actually, the, and the numbers are actually, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I mean, they're, they're so high. I mean, they should not be there, but they are very high, especially in Greenland, also in Greenland. You know that, but I think that's, we took in the, that's another thing we adapted into the, that was not part of the graphic novel, was the myth of the mother of the sea. Hmm. You know, and, and the symbol that she, it's also to somehow make it not as brutal because, you know, here in the film, you see um, the, 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 the Ivalu is, you know, is we've, we realize she's been swimming down to try to untangle the, the hair of the mother of the sea to sort of create, you know, um, 
recreate stability, you know, in society and also in the life of her little sister. And I think, I mean, it's it's a it's an almost childish way of you know of showing the most uh, you know desperate act a human can do. I mean, taking your own life. Um, but I don't think it makes it less emotional watching it. I mean, you know what's happening. Um, but it is, but I think maybe it, 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 it makes it even, I, I think we did it also to try to make it easier to talk about because if it's somehow it can be just brushed off, if it's too much or too brutal or too explicit, it's easier to just brush off as too much. But it's not, I mean, this way you, you can't not talk about it and you can't close your eyes to it. And it's, it's a reality. And unfortunately, it is a reality for, I mean, no child should ever, you know, come that far out that they're actually, that that's the only solution. But that's what happened. Yeah. And I, I also saw that you said, like, it was a way of her, of, in, in her mind, creating stability. But I also kind of saw it almost as a sacrifice for for people, like she, she believed that if she did this, that what happened to her, what happened to her sister, and using um the mother of this of of the sea as kind of a metaphor too, because it is in a way for her seeking um a comforting embrace from some other entity. Like she's not getting this comfort at home, you know. So she needs to find it um in 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 the sea, and she finds it in this mythological creature. So where did since since that's not in the graphic novel. Where did um, Anders come up with the idea of adding that into the story? Well, it's a very, I mean, myths are a big part of, uh, of Greenlandic culture as the Inuit culture. And um, so it was something that we chose early on. It's also a very typical thing, uh, you know, way of uh, creative expression of Anders Walter. I don't know if you've seen any of his other films. He made... Um, a few years ago, I think seven or nine years ago, he made a, another short film called Helium that actually won uh, an Academy Award where it uh, it talks about a child who's uh, dying from an illness. And in that he also used, it wasn't myths, but it was also like a different layer of, you know, a graphic layer that makes it easier for a child to accept, uh, to, to pass on to to, to the next stage. And I think, and it's, it's a very typical, you know, and this Walter thing to, to almost make something magical or childish, like a childish imagination into the film, mm. which I think makes it, I, I think it's, I, I love that, you know, that part of it. And it, it doesn't, I don't think it, it makes it less hard, but it just makes it more easier to, to grasp or easier to talk about. And that's, you know, that's we really wanted to be something that that people could watch and start a conversation about and not just, you know, it wasn't just too much. It's not something you can close your eyes to. No, for sure. I, I think it's a metaphor that children would be able to understand and that parents and teachers could use to um, to speak to children about. And speaking about teachers that like you mentioned that they, um, there's going to be teaching materials that are going to be distributed in the school. So I think it's amazing that like that is some that that's such um, a positive um, outcome of the film like this like you have not a tangible um, teaching tool so talk a bit about that but like I, I imagine like how did that happen like was that something that you and Anders and the team um, came up with or was it like for instance like maybe the school board or um, something well, it was something that I did because I think to me I mean that's how I normally work I like to make 
collaboration with different, you know, so we have different outlets and different inputs. Um, we're also making a, working with the Save the Children organization who's going to use the film both here in Denmark. Um, for us, I mean, as I said, it's it, it was for us, there was like two lives of the film. The film has an artistic life and it goes to festivals and now it's been nominated and that's that's one life and it's you know, wonderful and fantastic. And that's how it gets, you know, spread out in the world. That's how it travels. Uh, and then it has the other life where it will actually make, I, I hope, a big difference um, to people and children who sees it and who talks about it. Uh, I've also worked a lot with uh, closely with uh, different psychologists and experts who work with this topic on a daily basis. And for them, they say that it's, you know, this is such a big taboo where if they come into a you know a dinner con uh, party and the, you know the person sitting next to them asks so what do you do for a living and well I work as a psychologist and with this subject it's like it's so hard you know people turn you know almost physically turn away and it's not because they don't want to you know it's just it's it's so hard that it's it's almost too much to talk about in her opinion, the one uh, chief psychologist that from Copenhagen that I spoke to, she, in her opinion, that's also why in Denmark the the hospitals are, you know, they're not getting funding in this field. The research is being limited, and they're closing. They just closed the, like the, the biggest place in Copenhagen for children who who you know are victims of incest has just been turned has been closed down. So there's now no free psycho psychological help to them. They can find it maybe in their in the city they live in, but it's then it comes down to money, which it shouldn't be. It should be something that's you know that's offered. Um, and so this is you know that's what we really hope that this film will make you know will 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 put focus on this and make people realize it's something that's it's extremely important and it's and the people that it's I, I mean there are a lot of other problems in the world but this is just such a hard thing for these children who are victims because they don't talk about it and they don't feel hurt and they don't feel seen and well i hope this little film will will help do that too not just you know and that's why i'm saying it has two life it has the school life and the red save the children life and the political life and then it has the you know the the artistic life where and i think both will hopefully make it make a difference. Mm, well, the artistic life and getting nominated for an Oscar and like all of the awards that is won will definitely help boost the real life side of it, you know, because like it does lend um I, I, I hate to use the word, but validation and um credibility to the story. And you can say this is an Oscar nominee, this is an Oscar nominee, or hopefully Oscar winning film and like you know that can help with funding. And I think it's amazing the way it kind of ties into your previous your your work working with the broadcasting um, station because like that's where your ability to be able to say this is how getting these kind of stories used to create a, a, um, a program a children's program or even a program for their parents where we can talk about um, sexual abuse and incest and um, mental health issues in um, in younger in children and in teenagers like that's the way for you like that's I can imagine for you you're saying like I've gone into producing, but it's still part of what I used to do all those years, like working for the TV station. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think it's it's extremely rewarding. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And so I know we're going to have to wrap up soon. So I want to ask you for you, what is next? So, um, are you and Anders working on any other projects? Are you working on another production soon? Are you well, like, not right now. I mean, he's finishing. He's just, he was doing parallel to this. He was actually doing his first uh, Danish feature film. So he's, uh, he's, you know, he's been running back and forth between these two projects. And I think that's coming out in the fall, I'm not sure. And uh, for me, I mean, my whole life right now is focusing on Ivalu and the life, you know, with the campaigning and the Oscars and all that. And then the afterlife for that, we're going to travel with the film, uh, you know, and, and create more conversation. And what happens after that, we'll see. Mm. If you ever find yourself in um, Toronto, I will be happy to. I would love to meet you in person eventually. That would be great. Well, it hopefully, would... I don't even know that. I mean, I, I, I've been to Toronto. I think it's a fabulous town. And I think just going on the airplane from Copenhagen to Toronto may, gives you a hint of why it's so fantastic. Because I don't think I've ever been on an airplane with so many different nationalities mm. in the films. With languages and cultures and religions. I mean, it was the broadest uh, catalog of film. And I think that gave a good sign of what the this, this, this city is, is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very multicultural and very multi-ethnic. How long is a flight from Copenhagen to Toronto? Oh, too long. I can't remember. It was too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll see. I don't even know. I mean, I know there's Toronto Film Festival that I've gone to before, and I don't even know if they have shorts, but if they do, we'll, we'll come and we'll be there and I'll... They do. That. They have the shortwave programs and they have like an amazing arm stress program. So definitely do submit the film um, for that. And again, congratulations to you, Anders, um, the cinematographer. I did not mention his name, but whoever did the cinematography, like amazing job. His name is, is uh, Rasmus Heise. Rasmus Heise. And Rasmus he's amazing. The, yeah. Anders and him, they always work together. And yeah, they have the best uh, collaboration. They don't really communicate in a normal way. They just look at each other and they know, you know, the next step. And uh, so just watching them work together is, you know, is pretty amazing. But I'm, I agree with you. I think he did a terrific job. He did. And so like Mila Mino, the two girls who played um, Ivalu, um, people look at Ivalu, they did a fantastic job. And like, this is, um, I whatever is next for them, I wish the best for them. And for all of you, thank you so much, Aram. Rebecca, for taking the time to speak with me today. And congratulations. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. For the uh, 2023 Oscar in the live action shorts category. Um, this film, as we as you would have heard through my discussion with Rebecca, does talk um, about some very heavy topics, but it's also a beautiful film. And I think the two um, young actresses, Mila Minu, did such an amazing job with their performances, especially for... Um, novices like to the craft um but I, I i just think it's really important and it does and i do hope like as rebecca said that it starts more conversations and people listen and pay attention to the children around them and take an interest in children and also that it uh, encourages people to work with um looking for mission and missing and indigenous children and um, because that is something that is traveling all around the world, not just in Greenland, not just in Denmark or not just in Canada or America, but it's all around the world. Like people do need to, um, there's so many children that are missing or in danger. And like a lot of it has to be because adults don't pay enough attention because we have so much going on in our own lives, but that's not an excuse. Um, but again, thank you so much to Rebecca and congratulations to her and to Anders, the director, Mila Minu, the entire cast, the cinematographer, the sound designer, everyone who worked on it. Um, and I think I've been having an amazing time for 2023 so far talking to different creatives and producers. I think this is also one of the first time 
since the ending of last year, I've had more opportunities to speak to producers and it's great to be able to learn about filmmaking and from their perspective and also their own perspectives on the, on the projects that they work on as well. And um, you will find this episode of Karen and Talks in video format as usual on my YouTube channel. Um, that's youtube.com at Carolyn underscore Hines, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N underscore H-I-N-D-S. And um, you can go to my R3 page, that's A-U-T-H-O-R-Y dot com slash Carolyn Hines and find all of my published work, writing, um, interviews, film analysis, film reviews, profiles, and also links to my other podcasts, such as So Here's What Happened to I Cools with my friend Lanisha Campbell. That is a monthly um, nerdy, blurdy girl <laughs> podcast where we talk about film, TV shows, manga, comics, all of that good stuff. Or we give our recommendations and the things we liked and didn't quite so like. And also my other podcast, which is temporarily on hiatus. I will soon start it back. Beyond the Romance, that is my Asian drama podcast where I talk about film, um, Asian dramas from around, all around Asia. So South Korea, Japan, China, Thailand, um, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Occasionally, I'll try to do some more Vietnamese dramas this year uh, and more Taiwanese dramas this year. Um, and you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter at CarrieCNH12. That's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. And until the next episode of Caroline Talks, everyone, stay safe. Bye.